On this week's show, we'll be talking about the first race for F1 down the Las Vegas Strip, inevitable chat about penalties and what is and isn't and should and shouldn't be a penalty, and then, of course, look ahead to next weekend's Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of Back of the Grid. This one's probably going to feel like we were actually in Vegas because I'm probably the only one at full strength and I'm Tom, <laughs> for record. Stu is unfortunately not here because he's not very well and I think Chris would probably say he's running on empty right now. <laughs> yeah, we, we postponed for a day because I was ill and it's just given Stu enough time to get <laughs> ill and me to like just about recover enough, so we're struggling <laughs> through. Can confirm we were not partying in Vegas at the Grand Prix. Can confirm. I wish. <laughs> yeah, actually, I do wish. Because, okay, I'm, I mean, we'll get straight into it. Like, general thoughts on the race. I will say I was pleasantly surprised about how it played out. I think there's 100% there are things that need to be improved and worked on with it having the contract that it has and that they need to improve on over time but i think generally speaking the race itself played out quite well and gave enough action to warrant being an interesting race to be on the calendar contrary to what we probably thought going into it yeah absolutely i really enjoyed it really pleasantly surprised by that race um like for all the criticism of the circuit and you know we're working off a sample size of one race here so it's entirely possible this will be a reverse Baku. It'll be a quality first race and then really dull second ones. But right now, if you ask me if I wanted to watch another race at this circuit versus somewhere like Miami, Saudi Arabia, um, there's yeah. probably other Qatar, I, I'd take this one. Like it, it did produce a really good race. I think, I think one of the things it seems to have over a lot of these other street tracks is for almost the entire length of the circuit, it's still as wide as a normal racetrack. Like you had side by side yeah. stuff pretty much around the lap. There's only really one or two corners that are single file as far as I remember. Yeah, probably the only place you've really got that in Baku is the start finish straight, isn't it? And the the final corner in quote marks. Yeah. Um where at least here you've got it for the vast majority of the lap, like you say, it felt like and it felt like what they had at least done with the heavier braking zones is they they designed them in a way that we thought might lead to overtaking, but it kind of played out as it should have. Like mm-hmm. there was enough of an advantage down the straight for people to put themselves in position and then um, essentially do the move under braking. Like I, I genuinely thought that we would see too many moves done down the straight and it would kind of just nullify the the entertainment of an overtake. But it genuinely actually played out well in the sense that it put people in the position that they were. I mean, yes, fair enough, some people got passed in that manner, but there were plenty to counter that that were on-the-brakes moves going into... Um, I can't remember the corner numbers. It's still too new to me, but the, the little chicane sort of before you go on to the start-finish straight. Um yeah. Um, uh, uh, turns something I, and something. I know, I know one version of the trap map I saw that was labelled as Top Golf. So 
Who knows what the corners are called for this circuit? I know where Top Golf is. Ah, oh, see, coming back to our discussion from last week, now I can put the geography in place. I know where Top Golf is. So there you go. <laughs> no, um, I think I think overall though the circuit definitely definitely produced better racing than I thought it would from looking at that layout, and I guess that shows you the difference of people theorise it and then just actually putting 20 drivers of this calibre on a track and letting them race on it. Yeah, you know, it was good. And I think to what you're saying about, like, the way the overtakes were working, I think they'd got DRS about right as well. Like, the only time you saw someone streaming past someone midway down the strip was when someone was on knackered tyres and they were, like, you know, struggling with traction out of that corner. But whenever you had cars of, like, a similar pace on similar tyres, yeah, it was normally getting them side by side for the braking zone which is exactly what you want yeah so we've talked about the good let's talk <laughs> about the bad um the fp1 incident which essentially wrote off the remainder of the session and did it delay the fp2 i can't remember it did it, yeah it did i think it did didn't it so essentially um a little bit of insight for those that may or may not have seen the the extent of it but um a water uh, manhole cover on a water I don't know what it was it looked more like a water access point like a hydrant yeah I think it was point. Like a water main kind um, of thing. A, yeah water mains thing like essentially got ripped up I'm assuming by the ground effect and essentially destroyed the majority of Sainz's car um, to which the F1 social media accounts were posting, looks like a bump has stopped Carlos's engine, which is <laughs> like, shouldn't be posting that. And then the FIA on the whole essentially threw penalties at science for what is a track fault destroying his car. So the debate immediately came up of should science and Ferrari be getting penalised for what is a track, um, a lack of adequate preparation, um, a track failure, whatever you'd like to categorise it as. There was a lot of talk surrounding that. And I do have time for the argument that something of that nature should maybe be considered um, through not warrant the penalties because of the the nature of the incident. So similar incidents that I would probably relate this to are you've got George Russell at Baku a few years ago when he was driving for Williams. Uh, that was a very similar incident to this, if I remember right. Um, essentially, a great cover came up from underneath his car, didn't it? And yeah. ripped, out, ripped out the gearbox. Um, you've got a very similar incident to some degree for Jensen Button a few a number of years back when he was at McLaren. That was at Monaco. Um that yeah. one was more it was it wasn't fixed properly and it was dislodged and kind of thrown up more behind him, I think, wasn't it? I think can't remember the specifics that one, of honest. that now, but it there was an there was an unsecure cover in Monaco. It's coming out of turn one and heading up the hill. Yeah. Um and then probably the Rain great in Malaysia. Ooh, Malaysia. 2017, I think it was, Grosjean. Jeez, the memories we've yeah, got. I know. 
But yeah, that was um, again a similar thing. Now, obviously, it depends on what the damage is because some of those didn't get penalties because the damage wasn't to components like gearboxes and power units that science had issues with and and because of the nature of what they had to repair and it'd be more bodywork it didn't end up really costing them in the way that this cost ferrari and science but i do feel like there's an argument that in these in all these examples that we've talked about there that i've listed i think if you're having to change a component that you wouldn't normally have to through the fault of poor preparation of on the circuit's part and the FIA's part, I am of a standing that I don't think you should be being penalised in, in that regard because it's not through your own fault. It's not through your own reliability. If you'd have crashed the car, sure, it, you know, the, the teams aren't going to argue that and say, well, he crashed. We shouldn't have to, like, that's not what this is, I don't think. Yeah, and I even think, because I know some people have said, like, I mean, I hate to bring up the ghosts of this particular season, but I know a lot of people when Hamilton and Verstappen crashed at Silverstone um, and it was obviously at the time just to be Hamilton's fault. A lot of people then were like, why should Verstappen have to take an engine penalty if it was the other driver's fault? But even then, I think that's wheel-to-wheel racing. There's a lot yeah. of factors these things can happen. Something like this, like they have the the kind of force majeure clauses within the rules that basically say it covers things that could not have been foreseen, that the teams or drivers could not have had any control over. And this absolutely falls underneath that. Like, yeah, there's no way at all Signs or Ferrari could have avoided this happening. So... I do think there are situations where, and and the stewards, to be fair, themselves basically said like, we understand the um, uh, that this is not their fault, and we wish we could do something, but the rules basically don't allow us to just change those rules on the fly as we see fit. Um, so it's definitely think something that needs looking at. Um, there's 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 some ironies here, isn't there? Like, I mean. We don't have the power to change these rules on the fly, but we have got a reputation of changing things on the fly in the past. And I mean, this is, I guess this comes back to the demands of follow the rule book to the letter. Don't make things up as you go along. I guess maybe there's an argument from them, which is you want us to follow the rule book to the letter and not bend the rules to suit teams in certain scenarios. Therefore, it's a penalty because that's what the rule book says. But I think it's just poor judgment. Like, there's clearly a time and a place to exercise that ability to have leniency, and this is one of those scenarios. Yeah, and like, like you and said, I think there, there is there is a clause in there somewhere, like you say, that's to do with um, unforeseen circumstances that are out of the team's control. And tell me, what about this is in the team's control? Yeah, and I think the whole we can't just bend the rules to suit the situation thing is a harder pill to swallow as well when there's also rules, very clear rules about the amount of time there has to be between practice sessions. And obviously with FP1 getting cancelled and FP2 getting delayed, they bent those rules so they could still run the practice sessions. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I think, of course, like bend those rules to make sure we have a practice session when you've had to cancel the first one. But if you're going to be that flexible with those rules when it suits you, 
and then just shut down any discussion about bending other rules. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it ruined Sainz's weekend. I mean, there's an argument to say it ruined Ferrari would have got a better result on the other car had Sainz been in the race at the front. But I mean, obviously that's getting way ahead of ourselves. Mm. Um, yeah, it's obviously a difficult one. Um, and then of course, there's the way the whole thing was handled with the fans there as well. Um, did you see the statement that they released? Uh, I feel like I did, but I've now forgotten it. So if you know it or have it to hand to raise it for those listening, that'd be great. <laughs> so Stefano and the sort of CEO of the race sort of released a yes. kind of statement. I know which one you're talking about now. Basically said um, it's important for people to understand that the responsibility is primarily on safety and security. Fair enough. Don't disagree with that. Um, they said that because um, obviously they had delayed FP2 massively and then they cleared the grandstands out of people before FP2 ran because a lot of people had sat there for hours waiting for it. Um, and yeah, they said they had to look after the people that were working there. They had to transport these people back they were bumping up against the legal requirements for how long people can be working for and how long people can be uh, at work for and then drive things they needed time for the hospitality staff to work their shifts like that's all fine I, I honestly i don't disagree with any of those kind of points i think the the real sting of that statement was that i think it was something like six or seven hundred words and not one of them was sorry yeah like, that's that's the worst bit of all of that isn't it yeah it's it's excuse 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 um thanks for coming like yeah and <laughs> there's there's no there's no accountability or responsibility being held for what happened at all um, and that's it because i and lots of other people at the time said this looks an awful lot like them making sure they don't take any blame in case of possible lawsuits and literally the next day a class action lawsuit was started against the promoters for all the people who bought friday tickets and saw eight minutes of track running so yeah predictable and obviously it's so frustrating for the people that were there like this is i think this is the most expensive race on the calendar now oh yeah it's right gotta insane. be it's gotta be i mean um, there was a, there was a lot of talk on a similar note i guess to this because we're talking about the bads, um, is the fact that there was a lot of empty seating. And, I mean, my summary of it is you've got a race at an obscure time that doesn't suit the vast majority of the people around the world who want to watch it, let alone those there locally. Um, A ridiculous capitalist attempt at pricing. And you're then surprised when there's nobody sat in the grandstand. Like, yeah, like you can't be shocked at that. Like, I think we were talking like um, seats costing upwards of hundreds of dollars, like hitting $900 and $1,000 for fairly average, like, you know, a seat basically, not, not even a seat with some sort of additional access or or anything like, I mean, they may argue that there's 
fenders in there that were because you were kind of stuck inside your your grandstand and you couldn't go anywhere else. Like there were vendors offering free food and drinks to some extent from what I've seen, but I'm pretty sure they weren't offering. I mean, I go to races like Budapest, Germany, when it's on the calendar, uh, Spain, so on and so forth. I can name a number I've been to. All of them, I'm talking 200, maybe 300 euros a ticket at most. So they they definitely weren't offering $600 worth of food for free to yeah. make up that difference. I exactly, mean, yes, yeah. yes, fair enough. There's a spectacle. It's in Vegas, blah, de, blah, de, blah. But even the seasoned veteran circuits that I think are expensive don't charge that, like your Silverstones of this world. And Monza can be expensive, to be fair. Not as expensive as Silverstone, but it's expensive in comparison to some of the other circuits. Like you're talking, I think, about €400 Euros a ticket if you want a decent grandstand there. Silverstone's like £500 a ticket, I think, these days. So... <sighs> It doesn't. It doesn't have the reputation as a race or a a, a circuit in quotes because it's not a circuit, is it? But it's a street. <laughs> but <laughs> it doesn't have the reputation to demand those prices yet. Other than it's the Vegas Strip, and that's like doing a race down a famous London street. Take your pick, and then saying, "Yeah, thousand oh, pounds to see this one because it's down this particular street through London." Like it doesn't work like that. They just they pitched it wrong. Like I think they they just took the build it and they will come approach. They just assume that mm. just saying F one in Vegas will be enough and people will just throw money at it. And I like, don't think that works. And I think it will. That's one of the many things that will need tweaking for future races for sure. So I've just seen something that Wes um, has posted in the chat for from the live chat. So he says from what he'd seen, a three day general admission pass started at $1,250. That's crazy money. I mean, I didn't even know a general admission pass for Vegas was a thing, (laughs) to be brutal honest with you. Like, where do you go? Where do you get to go with that? But then to compare that, to compare that, Cota, Circuit Americas, is $450 for a similar level of experience, essentially. Probably far better, in my opinion, in terms of what you build to see and do whilst you're at that circuit absolutely for an established circuit that we know i would know 100 i would rather take myself and two friends chris and Stu, (laughs) to (laughs) to circuit the americas for the same (laughs) price that i could go to vegas on my own fact like it, it just it makes so much more sense it really does and the the i mean the rest of the surrounding infrastructure capitalizing on the event as well like the hotel prices were ridiculous like generally speaking those who have been to vegas will probably understand what i'm saying here staying in vegas is actually usually quite a cheap experience because especially if you stay in a casino hotel because they want you in the hotel they want you in the casino because that's where they make the real money out of you and generally speaking a vegas casino hotel it's pretty, pretty cheap, in com- especially in consideration of what you get as part of that um, in terms of the quality of the rooms and stuff like that. And to see the prices that some of those hotels were putting up because Formula One was in town. A scene, wasn't it? Yeah, like ridiculous. So I think, I think 
if they're not careful, they will just price everybody out. There's no wonder the grandstands are empty. Yeah. They've got they've got to remember who the target audience is. And the target audience, unfortunately for them, is not millionaires. Like mm. not people who can just afford to throw that kind of money on seeing one and a half practice sessions and a, a decent enough race, but like that the goodness of the race doesn't make up for all this bad, unfortunately. That that's the <laughs> it's it's really smudged what was actually a quite enjoyable race for the most part, and I think. That is the one thing they've got going for them at least. Like Miami had all that hype around it and then just delivered next to nothing. At the very least, after all this hype, we did actually have a decent race. And I think people will be looking forward to F1 going back there. So yeah, there is that. That's the one positive that can take from us in that respect. I just hope they adjust the price and infrastructure before. Yeah, before the, the really to. Um Right, I'm going to move us on to some like specifics on the race because we've talked about the overall experience and the good and the bad. So let's talk about the ugly now. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, we'll start with Leclerc versus the Red Bulls, which in reality we wish would have been both Ferraris versus Red yeah. Bulls, but was only Leclerc due to Sainz's penalty. So to to stay with the theme of <laughs> debate and conflict, let's very quickly talk about turn one, uh, which ended up with a five-second penalty for Verstappen. Um, essentially, Verstappen understeer central. I think there was there was an element of he could not get the, the bite and the turn in that he expected, but he just took that to a whole other level. Like there was, there was a cause for running out wide. Uh, well, running wider than intended, but I think he took it to a whole other level, pushing um, pushing Leclerc out as wide as he did. I think he's, yeah. look, he's lucky it was only a five second penalty. Um, and I mean, I'm gonna say it now. I don't necessarily think that. Red Bull's decision of the way they handled it is as bad as a lot of people have made it out to be because ultimately we've seen other people do it. We saw Russell do it recently. Of It was at Cota, wasn't it? It was just ignore the penalty. We know you're probably going to get one, but you are now faster than him in this clean air. Just go make the gap. Yeah, And that is essentially what Red Bull decided to do with Verstappen. And Any what team I, would have done it. What I don't like in the fandom of our sport at the minute is Verstappen is a villain for this. George Russell's a genius for this. They <laughs> did exactly the same yeah. thing. Just because you don't like the team or the driver, you can't say they're obnoxious. They shouldn't be doing this. Da, 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 da. But then George Russell, IQ 10,000 for doing that. Like, unfortunately it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, fair enough. I Maybe Verstappen's, initial incident was a little bit more egregious than Leclerc's and the penalty should have been different, but that's a different debate. Chastising the team for trying to outrun the penalty the same way Russell and Mercedes did, I don't think is fair. So that, that's, yeah, my, that's my opinion on that side of it, at least. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, <laughs> you know, in in the moment, Verstappen obviously didn't think there's anything wrong, but interviews afterwards, he was definitely like, yeah, the penalty was deserved. Like, that was... yeah. That was not on, which is, yeah, I mean, it's completely right. Like you, 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 you can't pass people by forcing them off the track like that. Yeah, and I think, like you say, the 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 problem is, I think you said it anyway. Either I've just imagined you said it, but 
like it's more the, the way that the the thing's been played out is the the fault it's not they need to be making a quicker decision and and forcing the the position to be given back like what we used to have once upon yeah. a time because all that is going to happen is people are going to do what Russell did in Cota and what Verstappen did here in Vegas of just be a bit elbows out do something that they know is probably going to get them this five second penalty at a pit stop or or after the race but know that they've got the pace in hand to out sprint that you and... shouldn't be able to <sighs> choose how you're penalized or how a penalty against you affects your race like that shouldn't be in your hands exactly that's that's not how it works like i'm trying to think of a another scenario where you you'd get this but such is our sport i'm th- trying to think of a an analogy <laughs> yeah, I and i can't the same think thing of earlier one. and i was struggling to think of like a a similar thing but yeah i mean as, is, as, is i suppose i suppose it's like i don't know it's like handballing the ball on the goal line knowing full well it was going to go in but the fact that the guy's got to take a penalty for it and it won't be given as a goal and the keeper's got a chance to save it and you might ultimately save the goal. It, yeah, logic, it's a logic, foul, isn't it? Logic-wise, that's probably the closest I can get to it. But yeah. even still, like that's about as good as I can get. Yeah. So, yeah, no, don't necessarily have a problem with them exploiting that per se because, unfortunately, they're given the opportunity to do that as as we've seen evident with other people. Um, we need better stewarding and quicker decisions on it and absolutely making him give the I mean and this whole thing of well we'll leave it in your determination as to whether you give the place back but then if you don't give the place back and we think we should have you're going to get a penalty if that's how they're going to police it they need to make it a stronger penalty that, yeah as soon as you start having this books, yeah like you're not it's not or, a properly written rule or penalty like or just go back to i guess giving the penalty out instantly and saying give that place back now or else yeah and because i mean let's put it this way at the end of the day he'd have probably still overtaken leclerc again at some point and ended up like so in in the grand scheme of things if they'd have addressed the rules properly like they used to and said give that place back i mean they had they had the perfect opportunity to do it at the flipping safety car well that was a perfect opportunity to have said switch back before the restart um and they still didn't do it it's so it it almost like the rules devalue the worth of an overtake as well almost like by saying like oh you've illegally overtaken someone that'll cost you five seconds implies that you know, if if you'd not made the overtake stick properly, you'd have been back past within the next five seconds anyway. It's like, no, like an overtake is a thing that is hard and it's earned and that's how it should be in Formula yeah. 1. So to just say, oh, you, did, you didn't do it properly, five seconds. It's just I mean, like... On, on top of that, I think that you've got the point of it. it causes more people to just... If... If the move is proving to be a difficult one, and they 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 feel tempted to like push the other driver out wide or or do whatever it is, they're more inclined to do it because they know that that's the worst case scenario. <laughs> the worst case scenario is the team makes a judgment call and says give it back, and following that it's a five second penalty. Which 
I suppose it depends on who you are, who you're racing and when, but people in Verstappen's position are going to take that five seconds every day of the week and just get get themselves clear. Yeah. So, yeah. We've got other penalties to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about that one. Um, so later on in the race, um, Max was... It was after the pit stops, wasn't it? It was um, making a move on Russell after he was making his way back through the field from his pit yeah. stop. And, yeah, there was... Essentially, Russell turned in on him, didn't he? Um, that's the that's the short of it. Um, yeah, that's the official line as well. Russell got the penalty for that. Um, yeah. Um, find that hard to disagree with, I think. I mean, I, d- I don't think it was egregious. I think Russell just didn't know he was there, honestly. I mean, I'm pretty sure in post-race interviews, his own words are, I didn't see that he'd made the move that he'd made, yeah. um, which... I mean, the blind spot on these cars is probably side pod to rear wing, isn't it? And that's essentially where he was. So yeah, it does it does make sense that um, that he could, he didn't know if he was behind him or alongside him. I guess to some degree, um, but he was fairly well alongside him. I, I think. <sighs> There's a li- there's a little bit of six of one and half a dozen of the other I think in this one where Verstappen's obviously putting it up the inside into a position where he knows the other driver's got no choice but to but to not turn in where he'd want to um, and I know there's a lot of people that obviously don't like that style of racing but it's it's been around for decades like yeah. Senna was famous for it. That was that move was Ayrton Senna written all over. His mm. famous words of, I'm going to put my car in the position that I want to take the corner. If you choose to turn in, we have a crash. I think, I mean, I might be slightly paraphrasing that, but... <laughs> the to, gist is there. For, for want of paraphrasing it correctly or, or quoting it directly, that's essentially what Senna said in the 80s. And... <laughs> Schumacher was very much like that through parts of his career of I'm going to put the car here. You choose to turn yeah, in. It's like, new. And there's there's different stages of this. There's like, I'm going to put the car here and if you turn in on it, it's your fault when your nose is barely alongside the rear wheels. You're, you're at fault. I think in this scenario, he was quite well alongside and quite comfortably made the corner. So there is argument to say he was entitled to be where he was. Um, yeah, I, th- I think and, so. And I think had had Russell been fully aware of of where he was and his full surroundings, you'd be and yeah. And to be fair, that being any other driver, I think you would be throwing the arms in the air in celebration of what an amazing move on the breaking <laughs> that is. Like, Im- imagine Danny Ricardo does that to somebody else further down the grid who doesn't turn into him. It's move of the day. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that a lot of these incidents, unfortunately, get the reactions they do and get the, the just pure negative spin on them because of who's involved. Yeah. It was, it was, the, same when, it was the same when Hamilton was in the position he was. Anything that happened wheel to wheel with Hamilton when he was winning in the Merc on a regular basis was Hamilton's fault. 
basically. Like just cuz. Same same with the Schumacher in Ferrari era. Like everything yeah. was his fault because people want to see that successful driver fail to some degree. Unless unless it's your team and your driver. Yeah. There's something deep down in like people everywhere else that kind of wants to see the failure. Um yeah, but I, I, think I, think, as well. I think it's fair what we got out of it. I think, especially when the drivers themselves come out and say, yeah, I, I made a mistake there, didn't watch where he was and turned into him. You can't argue with the driver himself saying, I'm, I am at fault there. Um, and we know full well that the drivers disagree with, <laughs> with a decision, they make it known. So yeah, exactly. Even George Russell, even nice guy George Russell is going to make it known if he's not happy with the decision. So... I think as well the fact that Max went for that move spoke to the disadvantage that he was under at that point. I think for most of this season in that situation, he'd probably have just waited a corner and blazed past on the straight. But like Ferrari were pushing them so close this race that like he felt the need to commit to that move to save like every tenth he could. Yeah. Because at that point in time, I think Leclerc had got a five lap tire advantage on him if i remember rightly yeah there was an element of that at one point that was i think and that will have been around that time i think yeah yeah but then of course weirdly by having that clash with russell that's kind of what made the race for max because yeah red bull took the resulting safety car as an opportunity to jump in for new tires ferrari decided against it and all of a sudden it was a five lap advantage back the other way yeah um which was a shame man like as as good a drive as verstappen's was leclerc really deserved that win i'm i'm just happy that in some sense the the ferrari thing that we wanted to play out did in the sense that whether it was temperature or surface or whatever that it did play out that there was moderately competitive with the Red Bulls um, because of the conditions. Uh, it is, and it, the biggest shame is that Sainz wasn't in the mix. I think if Sainz had been up there with Leclerc and they could have worked together on holding those Red Bulls up and making them use the tyres more and so on, I think they would have had a better shot of one of them being on the top step. Like yeah. Not necessarily one, two, because... I, I don't know if they'd have been able to muster that specifically, but I think you would have been able to get a double Ferrari podium and, and one of them be on the top step had they both been there to to, to work together in, in holding Max up and stuff like that. It certainly would have been easier if they had two cars in the fight, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. But, I mean, like even with the tyre disadvantage, <clears throat> like it's not like Verstappen passed him and... Well, both Red Bulls passed him initially, but it's not like they disappeared on yeah. the road. Like He was able to stick exactly. with them and then put that move on Perez on the final lap, which was, I mean, two, it was, two it was times well... in two races for Perez. This I know. Um, on one hand, it was really well played from Leclerc in that he obviously charged up his battery, made sure he was in DRS range, all of that to make the pounds on the final lap. I do think Perez could have done a lot more to defend against it. He just sort of yeah. sat there on the racing line, didn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, again, like maybe a bit of naivety on a driver's part for not being fully in tune with the circuit yet, with it being a first race there and 
having a slightly more limited than usual practice, maybe, of yeah. not, not expecting a move in a certain bit. We knew moves were happening there at that point. Like, you'd have thought Perez would have at least... I mean, I saw our friend of the show, Callum, from um, Overdrive, he he made a very good point, I think, which was, like, to see him leave the door wide open like that, knowing Leclerc is gunning for that position, feels schoolboy and rookie, where, like, yes, he would have probably compromised his exit by defending a little harder, but he would have, in theory, had the better run, even if his exit was compromised, because he'd have put Leclerc out of position anyway with with yeah, a exactly. slight more of a defence. So Leclerc wouldn't have had the best run out of the corner. And although it would have probably been a to-the-line sprint for him again, he would have been in probably more favourable against a Ferrari in that scenario, I would have thought. Um, so, yeah, it was... I, I kind of... I, I, I saw it... I saw it very clearly what Callum was trying to get at, basically. Yeah. And I think it was a fair assessment as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, it... Oh, yeah, got something on that? Oh. No, I was going to say, like, oh. ultimately it didn't matter for Perez because he still got his um, second place in the championship, largely through yeah, Mercedes true. struggles and his own driving, I would yeah. say. But, um, yeah, first time Red Bull have ever had a 1-2 in the championship, which is about time. surprising. <laughs> it's about time with the number of years that they've been dom- dominant both like well yeah well in the last 20 years i mean yeah fair enough we've had a big mercedes point in that but yeah when you look back to the last 20 years or so that well not quite 20 years have been in the sport is it but it's not far off now like when you think about the time they've been in the sport they've had two significant spells now the first with vettel and then obviously the era that we're currently in um I'm very surprised. But I mean, it's it's a little bit that Ferrari syndrome, isn't it? It's always been a case of prioritizing one driver at all costs. I mean, there was a bit of an element at one point where both um Vettel and Weber were kind of in for a title, but you always knew that Vettel was the one that was being favored. Like Vettel was the number one. And yeah. As much as the the line was that they were both in it to win it, like you knew deep down they were favouring Vettel. So they've got Ferrari syndrome in that regard, for sure. They're just better at making strategy decisions that yeah. don't screw over both drivers. <laughs> um, yeah, so like you say, that that <laughs> secured second for um, for Perez over Hamilton. And Hamilton secured third as well, didn't he? No one, no one yes. can catch Hamilton for third, so that's that done. Um, in terms of just other random stats for the for these, um, Max, 18th win on the season, 20th podium for the season, and his 53rd career win overall, which pulls him level with Sebastian Vettel. And um, he's now only behind Schumacher and Hamilton at that point. Mm-hmm. So, it's a big jump up to those guys, though. He's more than likely going to be <laughs> solidly in third place by the end of the season. Yeah. More than likely. Yeah. Um, I'll run through some other teams because I know we've talked quite a lot about the race itself and then this this battle at the front. So we'll just kind of run through some of the teams. So Alpine were were actually in the mix during the race. So yeah, um, Ocon had a bit of a poor qualifying being out in Q one, but um, ended up in fourth by the end of the race. Um, and um, I mean he started. 16th was it because of being out in Q1 
Uh, yeah, 16, 17, something like that. Yeah, um, like a really solid drive. And one of the drivers that was up there making the moves work. I mean, a lot of drivers were making moves work, but Ocon in particular turned up a few times in terms of um, like being a highlight reel all of his own <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, and pretty uh, much the only driver other than Leclerc to make a one-stopper work as well. Like, yeah, other than them two, you look at the one-stoppers and you've got like... Gasly, Albon, Magnussen, Ricardo, um, Joe, who all just like dropped like a stone throughout the race. So to make that work, keep those tires going, and pull off that result was yeah, hell of a drive from Ocon. Yeah, um, Gasly on the other side of the garage, um, struggling a bit with graining more so than Ocon was. Ocon didn't really seem to have any problems, but Gasly uh, had a bit of graining issues, um, but. Yeah, they they kind of tried to push him to do the one stop, didn't they? And it it just it didn't work. Um, yeah, for him because there was that we heard a bit of like ranting and raving from him on the radio, and the way it was yes broadcast, it made it look like he was like mad about the team orders or mad at Ocon. But I've seen like post race people have gone back and looked, and actually he was just complaining at the team because he wanted to abandon the one stopper and pit for the safety car basically, and the team overruled him, and he was not best pleased about that decision for obvious yeah. reasons like it didn't work at all i think with his pace he's probably quite right to be on to be in the frustration that he was though isn't he yeah. like he was um he probably would have ended up much better off stopping and obviously dropping back but having the pace with the tires then overtake people but that is what it is uh aston martin um decent decent points and drives from them lance stroll coming in fifth um and fernando picking up a couple of points down in ninth um i'm gonna put it out there i don't know if this is right or not but i would probably say that that's the biggest margin stroll will have had over alonso all season would be my guess oh in a race they've both finished i would be almost certain that's true yeah 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 um i i mean another really good drive to be fair in the in similar to the ocon one so stroll Qualifying was ended up nineteenth, um, and has climbed all the way to fifth there. So that's a fourteen place gain. Um, he was one of the few people starting on. No, we're a lot. Of, I'm trying to think. Well, started on softs. If it was a common thing or not, I don't think they did. I think gone. he might have been. I feel like he only was, him and, he was, only him and Sonoda started on. Yeah, softs. he was a minority, wasn't he? There was only a yeah. couple of them. So yeah, that that soft start, the safety car, very early doors for Lando. Just paid dividends for them, didn't it? And let yeah, them he bailed on them straight away. Instantly ran hard straight for off the rest them. of the race. Yeah, so that worked out really, 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 really well. Um, yeah, so Alonso had a bit of a bit of a spin into turn one, like low grip levels. Ended up pirouetting. Um, took some contact with. I, th- I want to say it was Bottas. It was one of the alphas. I want to say it was Bottas. Um, don't know if you yeah, can Bottas me. was certainly involved. I don't know if it was him that he touched first, but um, yeah, yeah it was chat, chat confirming Bottas. So I'll take that. Um, Pretty messy from Alonso that. Yeah, I think, I, mean, he just, I think he just assumed there'd be a lot more grip than there was, didn't he? Yeah, I think there was. There were a few drivers caught out by that. I mean, yeah. you you literally only have to look at the front two. Like as much as Verstappen pushed Leclerc further out, Leclerc was already understeer central and heading quite wide of his own accord, whether Verstappen was there or not. Verstappen just made it much worse. Um, but yeah, so I think that like up and down the grid, 
people were. Cold tyres just starting the race, heading into that corner. I think a lot of people were struggling, struggling and Alonso was one of those who was a, a little bit uncharacteristically over-optimistic about what he mm-hmm. could do with the car, sadly. Um, but a decent enough recovery, I guess, um, considering where he found himself during Turn 1. Um, and then after what happened for McLaren over the course of the weekend, it's doing them favours in the championship battle, the fact that Stroll's finished as high as he has. So they're now 11 points behind McLaren at this point. Um, yeah, I thought that fight was done a few races ago, but it's yeah. closed up massively. Yeah, and then obviously speaking of McLaren, we'll quickly cover them. So dreadful qualifying session for them. Both cars out during Q1. Um Norris then had a huge accident um, on lap three, I think it was. And, I mean, I want to say that it looked like he bottomed out a little bit and lost grip mid, mid-turning. I think so. And essentially spun into the wall um, and then had zero control of the car at that point, obviously, and, and continued down towards the barriers. Um, spent a little bit of time in the hospital did he not after that yeah, and then eventually I, got discharged i would guess he, that crash probably tripped some of the um the g4 sensors and if that yeah. happens it's an automatic um trips the hospital to have concussion yeah. checks i stuff. mean but yeah he's he, all okay but he was sat in the car for a little while after it happened and he looked pretty pretty stiff and maybe winded and yeah. stuff as as he was getting out and being t- moved away from the car so it's a I big mean, old impact, though. Yeah, it was. It was a big incident. Yeah. Um, um, also, so, you do have to put that, that down as driver error, unfortunately. Like, I know it was... Yeah. A, but they were saying there was a bump in the track and there were low tyre temps and pressures and stuff, but ultimately, um, yeah, I mean, he just, he just dropped it under the circumstances. Very, very different outcome, unfortunately, for Lando, but it is similar to the Alonso thing of just being over, over-optimistic about how well the car is going to stick through the corner yeah. on cold tires. Um, so I think there's a lot of teams will have learned something from this and maybe the FIA themselves as well as to when, at what time we host next year's race. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see if the, things like that have a bearing, but who knows, knowing this sport. Um, Piastri had a bit of an opposite strategy from everyone else. Um, went really far into the race um, with... Back to back hard stints, am I right yeah. in remembering? Um, they were kind of playing for a bit of a late safety car, probably, but they just ended up having to bail on that and just do a normal pit stop for uh, a small stint on the end on the mediums. Um, overtook 11 people on his way to 10th place and picked up fastest lap he at did. one point. So, good drive uh, under the circumstances from him, I think. But, yeah. um, I think I think there's three <clears throat> solid drives there from people who didn't have a Q1 to remember have all solidly yeah. like made up for that, whether it be their fault for Q1 or, or otherwise. The circumstances don't necessarily matter. There's, there's three drivers there that have all made a, a solid case for being able to, to pull that back. Um, I did see someone oh, yeah. online <clears throat> earlier today say you almost have to keep reminding yourself this season that Piastri is a rookie. Like, yeah, I'd the agree. Drives he keeps pulling off, the, especially in the back half of the season. It's easy to forget that he's yeah. still in his first season. Yeah, very much so. 
very much so. Uh, Mercedes, um, I think, looked like they could have been in this fight with Ferrari and Red Bull, but... At least close mm, to it. Yeah, never, never seemed to close in. Um, so, 7th and 8th for them. Um, Russell did initially finish 4th, technically speaking, but, um, yeah, the... Um, the five-second penalty dropped him four places, so that one... Shows how close he was in this race. Yeah. Um, uh, and then Hamilton got hit by Sainz in turn one, and that yeah, caused was like... both of them a puncture, I think, if I remember rightly. Um, oh, no, sorry, that was the Piastri one, wasn't it? Yeah, the Piastri thing was when he got the a puncture later on in the race. Sorry. Did Piastri get a puncture from that as well? I can't remember. He did, I believe, yeah. Yeah. But I think, if I remember rightly, he... His wasn't quite as bad, or Hamilton didn't realize who was on the next lap or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Hamilton just seemed to be at the wrong place at the wrong time, constantly in that race, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. So in terms of championship, uh, kind of effects that that result has, um, the um, the gap now is four points between them for second in constructors. Yeah, um, just four behind now. Because um, obviously Sainz finished ahead of both of the uh, Mercedes, in. which given that yeah. that's the only fight that they're in, really, that kind of it felt just that Sainz at least managed to finish ahead of them, and that gap <laughs> actually closed, given like yeah. the penalty he had to suffer. Yeah, uh, and then Williams um, is the last one we'll kind of touch on. Uh, we expected that they might be quite quick here, like qualifying looked quite good for them as well, but getting both cars into Q3, Logan Sargent looked like he was fairly comfortable here, it looked like it was going to be maybe a good weekend for yeah. them overall. Um, they were, and they ran there for a little while as well. They they were in fifth and, th- fifth and sixth for a little while, um, but tyre degradation got them, didn't it? Like They were, they were yeah, struggling with the tyres, just kind of went backwards. Um, I think the saving grace for them is probably where Alpha Tauri also struggled. So it they meant were terrible, that, weren't they? Yeah, it meant that it at least kind of meant a status quo of some sorts for the um, for the championship standings. That's a seven point gap now between them. I think it was before as well. Yeah, um, I think it stays as is. Yeah, because nobody scored any points from there. What did they? I don't think any of the bottom four scored no. this week. The closest was Albon in 12th. I believe um, so, yeah. So, yeah, like, it's essentially remained as it was there. Um, I mean, very very quickly on this, I know we've, we've spent a lot of time doing all this review a bit before we have to move on to other things, but very quick closing question on this before we do move on. Has Logan Sargent in these last few races started to do enough to um, to secure and put a bit of confidence in him for the seat for next year. Start to show what he you needs know, to. Like, he was only two tenths off Albon again in qualifying. Um, yeah. Race-wise, he finished... Um, where's he gone? Um, he was about seven, six or seven seconds back in the race, which over race distance is not terrible. Um, I do think there was that period of time basically when the, his seat became the last one available and everyone started questioning him. And I do think since then he has kind of stepped up a little bit, it feels like. Um, yeah. I've seen someone say actually that 
the gap between the Williams drivers is actually now starting to be quite similar to the gap between the McLaren drivers in that in qualifying, they're pretty close together now. It's normally no more than a few tenths. And then race-wise, the more established driver has just got a bit more race pace over race distance. But um, yeah, I think that's he's fair definitely assessment. getting closer. Yeah, yeah, that that that's a reasonable assessment of it. That like, I'm not knowing that that's factually accurate, but that that's how I read it. Feels it. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, a scathing comment from Blaze in the chat though of no, he doesn't deserve it because he's still 21st in the 20 driver championship. I mean, at least that he has a grim. At least he has a point, I guess. Um, but yeah, you've got Lawson, who was obviously temporarily at Alpha Tower with two points ahead of him. So maybe he needs a point or preferably two in the final race of the season to Sadly, to I think this race that. was probably Williams' best chance to score anymore, wasn't it? Probably, probably. Um, so all all of that being said, so much said, can we turn it into a driver of the day? I've got two drivers in mind. Shoot, tell me, because we've written nothing so far in prep. We've kept this one, one quiet them, from each other. One of them is Ocon. Yeah. I think that comeback drive from him was phenomenal. Yeah. The other one that I'm struggling a bit with is Leclerc, because I think it was a phenomenal drive from Leclerc. He probably should have won that race. He did make that mistake that let Perez get through. The question in my head is, does the fact that he then went on to repass Perez on the last lap undo that mistake that he made mm. to lay him through in the first place? Out of interest, who won the official vote? Do you know? Because uh, I haven't checked this race. Leclerc won I'm it, being apparently. being told it was Leclerc, yeah. Yeah, yeah Leclerc, Leclerc in chat, I say, officially. Mm. Who are you thinking? I mean, I was leaning towards Ocon. Um Sometimes I'm a bit wary of giving it to drivers that go out in Q1, if it, especially if it's their own doing and stuff like that. Um, if I remember right, Ocon was fractions out though. It, it, it wasn't. It was more of a timing error in terms of when he was on circuit, from what I remember of Ocon. Yeah, um, I'd have to go back and watch, but I can justify giving it Ocon essentially. So I think I'm going to go with Ocon with you. I can be very happy with Ocon. Yeah. Let's do that then. Uh, move of the day. There's quite a few here. Do you want to run through what we've put forward on it? Yeah, I really enjoyed that fight that Ocon and Gasly were having while we were hearing the radio saying, please hold position. Yeah. Um, they kind of swapped backwards and forwards a few times. Um, we had Hamilton went past a couple of people side by side through that last flat-out left-hander. I think his move on Gasly was probably the pick of the bunch Yeah, there. that was a good one. Um, and I've also got Piastri on Gasly written down. And as I say that, I'm struggling to remember which move that one was. So I'm <laughs> scrubbing through trying to find it. Oh, um... I remember. It was at the safety car restart. And um, Piastri went up the inside of Gasly um, at the end of the sort of second straight as they're heading towards the sphere. It was kind of an opportunistic dive up the inside. That was one that, was actually really good. Was that because Gasly was trying to fight one of the Red Bulls in front of him? Um, 
Is it that? It was. It was that point of the race, wasn't it? He was initially trying to fight one of the Red Bulls in front of him, and it, it kind of lost yes. that fight, which brought Piastri into play. And then, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, Gasly put himself slightly offline. Um, yeah, through turn one, and that gave Piastri a sort of a sniff of an opportunity. Um, I'm seeing someone in the chat saying not Leclerc on Checo on the last lap. I find it hard to reward that when Checo didn't really defend this. He just sort of, I feel like Checo just sat there and watched him go past him. As as good a job as Leclerc did to get himself the position to make that pass, I think the pass itself was could have been more dramatic. I suppose. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I think that Piastri one is the one I'm leaning to the most. I mean, I'm sat here in my McLaren hat. It's it's that bias coming through (laughs) again, but I'm I'm going with you. I did enjoy the Ocon Gasly fight, though. I'm going to put that out there. I did enjoy that. Um, it was good. Everyone's saying like not Charles Leclerc on Checo in the chat. Like, I'm going to say I no, can't. and I'm, I'm no. I, I I can't justify a move that wasn't properly defended. Like it was it was a good lunge, hundred percent. He did extremely well to get his car where it was, but the fact he just wasn't defended whatsoever. Like, no, can't yeah, do it. Sorry, can't. Sorry, I can't. I can't. Soz. The breaking was brilliant. <laughs> so, so was it. I mean, I know that bit, obviously. But... <laughs> yeah, the just breaking two... of the day award goes to Charlotte. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we'll give him that. Um, and then finally. Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? <sighs> I mean, I feel if we went through everything for this weekend, we'd be here all day. I mean, it was. 100%. It was every bit as bonkers as I expected it to be. Um, Any particular thing you want to nominate specifically? The thing that stood out to me the most, because it was just completely nonsensical, was at the end of the race, them all getting in cars to do the Max Verstappen podcast on the road, while they drove back down the strip for a few minutes to get out of the cars to be interviewed in front of the Bellagio, but they were using really tight camera shots. So they could have been anywhere. There's no point in them doing that there. Then the three of them just awkwardly stood there while the fountains and fireworks did their things for a bit. And then we watched them get back in the cars again and drive for another few minutes. So by the time they actually got on the podium... It must have been 20 minutes after the race had finished before they actually got to the podium. It felt like ages. I I, I didn't see the podium. And the reason I didn't see the podium is because I'd watched the Max Verstappen podcast occur in the back of a limousine, <laughs> watched the official interviews, and then they started getting back in a car. And I was like, at this point, I, I've got better things to be doing. I'm just I'm zoning out now. Like either, That's either, where I've got to with this. Either just do it all in the, at the start, finish, straight way you normally do. Or take them to Bellagio, build a podium there, and do it yeah. all there. The, the back and forth was so weird. Like, clearly, they wanted to do the podium at the big shiny F1 building. Lots of people had paid money to be there. But also, yeah. the Bellagio had clearly put a lot of money into them having their nice big adverse at the end of the race. And yeah, it just... All very silly. Need- all they needed was Jerry Seinfeld to be doing the post-race interviews <laughs> and they could have called it race drivers in cars getting coffee. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it might as well have Jerry Seinfeld interviewing him after the race. That's... I did I did see someone say, if James Corden gets in this car, I'm never watching him again. 
I mean, I much prefer comedians in cars getting coffee to whatever that one hundred thing is called. Um, so I'm sticking with that analogy for me. I mean, are we going with that? I think that is it, isn't it? Yeah. In Just... the interest of time, let's go with that. And as as Jose is saying, Bellagio is not even the best hotel on the strip. It's got the fanciest fountain for sure, but it's not the best hotel. I I concur. I concur. <laughs> uh, right, Preds, 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 Preds predictions. So. Not a great week for most people, but I think that was the one thing we could predict <laughs> about this weekend. Uh, we got a lot of three out of threes. Um, too many to name, unfortunately. unfortunately. Um, I want to do a couple of honourable shout-outs, though, to one to Julia S., who was the only person who got Lando's first DNF, and then also one to Tom Davis, who was the only person to have Nico Hulkenberg in 19th, which is where we classify him because of where he DNF'd in the in the order mm-hmm. of things. Um, I've so, got to yeah. say I'm very pleased with getting Leclerc and Verstappen as um Yeah, I mean very good call. I am very disappointed by going double Norris and I'm, as I'm sure yeah. Stu will be very disappointed of being optimistic enough for a McLaren win. Um I've um I've actually speaking of my points, I've not made a big deal of it this season because I didn't want to jinx it. But I have <laughs> between the three of us I have never won the predictions league. And this season, I've been ahead for most of the year, and I remain ahead with one race to go. So now I've mentioned it, I've probably cursed it, but I think I think you need to outscore me by four to beat me now, Tom. So I'm confident enough to mention it. I have to go really serious then in a moment when we do the next ones. Um, no, don't do that. <laughs> in terms of a quick stop into Fantasyland, um, Eddie Civic Jordans won the the race this week with 328 <laughs> points in official F1 fantasy. And then overall in the standings there, um, <laughs> McCrappen is, is now, our, now our leader with 6,214 points. I do love the names people come up with in that league. Um, some, good. Somehow I am third in that league. No wow. idea how, but I am third in our F1 fantasy league. Um yeah, I've just realized I forgot to mention the standings for the our predictions league. Um so that that's actually the standings at the top are close enough for things to get swayed by someone having a good weekend and someone having a bad weekend in Abu Dhabi. So we've got Effortless Lee on forty five point five points at the top. We've got James Hunt second in with forty four points exactly. And then Kirsty Bradshaw and Gordon Barham are both on forty three point five. But from memory when I was looking at the standings earlier today, the the people in like fourth, fifth, sixth beyond are all very close and a, a bad weekend for effortlessly, which doesn't seem to happen in many of the things that <laughs> Lee's entered with us this season. But um yeah, in terms of, of a bad weekend there, that it could change things drastically. But we we shall see. Uh, and then a very quick stop into grid rival. Uh, Ruben, lots of numbers. I'm not going to read them all because there's a lot of numbers on the end of your name, Ruben. Won grid rival this week with 1,057 points. And the top of that is effortlessly, uh, as I was alluding to before, with 2,985 points. Uh, Raniel Dicardo, three, is second with to 20,299 points and uh, Ruan Man is third with 20,198 so again still stuff to play for there because you can score a good thousand points if you have a decent weekend in grid rival so I'm not doing so well in that one so I'm not going to mention where I am hmm. uh, st- story like oh, if you want to get involved with predictions league by the way back to the grid.com forgot that bit this is 
getting very out of hand this episode, it would seem. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the nature of our um, health and well-being is, is taking its toll, I think, an hour into this episode. Uh, right, storylines for Abu Dhabi. Let's do a last thing of starting to look towards um, Abu Dhabi before we hit inbox. Do you want to quickly do these? Yeah, Ralph, through them, go for it. I'll, I'll contribute for something this week. Um, <laughs> so there's still a few championship battles worth keeping an eye on for the last race. Um, fourth place in the drivers is very much up for grabs. You've got Sainz and Alonso are both on 200 points. Norris is on 195 and Leclerc on 188. So any one of those four could still uh, nick fourth place for what that's worth. Um, interestingly, that very good race for Ocon and very bad race for Gasly means there's only four points between them now. And um, with those two, I have a feeling that if they end up close with each other on track, that might get a little bit spicy. So yeah. I'm hoping they end up uh, side by side at some point. Um, as we said earlier, there's only four points there between Ferrari and Mercedes. Uh, you've got to say Ferrari are looking like favourites to overhaul that gap now. But um, minute. you never know with Abu Dhabi. Um, and also only 11 between Aston Martin and McLaren now. McLaren really need to... Uh, Put a good race together after a couple of iffy ones to um yeah hold on to that and then as mentioned earlier as well the bottom four is still as it was Williams on twenty eight Alpha Terry twenty one Alpha Romeo sixteen Haas twelve um, many yeah. millions in prize money up for grabs there between them yeah I think the only unfortunate thing about that one is with the gaps as they are and the likelihood of them finishing significantly in the points I think that unfortunately is probably not going to change much of it all now with those bottom four yeah yeah the the others are still all to play for and there's a lot there's a lot going on there i think that's probably the the dampest of the squibs (laughs) yes um (laughs) and another thing of interest with abu dhabi is that lots and lots of teams still haven't fulfilled their young driver fp1 quota for the season so fp1 should be an interesting watch because i think literally half the field could end up being non-race drivers in fp1 i know red bull are running young drivers in both of their cars at least one ferrari is going to be um mercedes alpine i think mclaren might be running pato award um possibly yeah there's gonna be Lot, lots of interesting new names to watch out for there as well. Yeah, a lot, a lot to be assessed there, I guess. Um, right, let's quickly run through our predictions for Abu Dhabi. So, uh, any uh, suggestion on the fastest for this? Um, I'm going to finish the season as we probably started and say double Verstappen for me. Okay, I mean, that keeps it easy. Verstappen, Verstappen. This basically means you have <laughs> now secured... <laughs> Me because I I can't beat you with that. Essentially, I can't beat you. I'm putting Even pressure got... on you to do something different. I can't. I just can't look past it. I'd... Do you know what? Actually, I've got nothing to lose at this point. Have I? I'm gonna just go Leclerc fastest qualifier just to be different. Mm-hmm. And if that pays off, it could change the whole. It's title. not a terrible shout. And then if Verstappen doesn't win, oof. right? Anyway. Uh, first DNF. I'm going to make you go first again. You're you're the leader. Um, <laughs> there's only two I'll of go us. for Yuki. Yuki Sonoda. Yuki Sonoda. Um, oh, difficult one. This one. I'm going to go with. I feel like it's going to be one of the hasses. I don't know why. It, it's it's practically been a hass for the last four or five races now. So been there or thereabouts. Yeah. I'm just going to go with Magnussen. I feel like as well, every time I pick a Haas, the other one DNF, so I'm pretty much securing yeah. that, I think. Um, 
number of finishes. I'm going to make you go first again. Why not? Um, it's a lot of old engines now, isn't there? Um, we yeah. only have a couple of failures this race. Let's say 16? 16. 16. Okay. I'm going to go a little bit more optimistic and say 17 because I think, generally speaking, reliability, but a lot of teams have done okay for the most part. It's more, mainly been accidents and failures, so I'm going to go 17. Uh, and then random driver, we've got basically everyone other than Hulk in this, haven't we? So we who's have that going to be? The last one of the season is Lewis Hamilton. Oh, that's that's difficult on that. Fifth. I mean, that, that the way that car's in recently, it could be fifth, it could be 15th, couldn't it? Um, Scathing review of the Mercedes there from Chris. Let's have a... I'll say sixth, I think. Okay. I've just seen an interesting stat popped into the chat by Sarah. This could be the first season since 2005 that we haven't had a British winner all season. Wow. There you go. That's a fact I did not know we were on the brink of. <laughs> but there you go. Right, that is our predictions in. If you want to get involved for the last of the season, I can tell you four pit names I mentioned earlier that definitely want to be involved for that last race of the season. <laughs> but if you'd like to join them, head to backofthegrid.com. It is still worth doing, even though we're at the end of the season and there's one race left, it's worth doing because five out of fives win prizes. So be sure to go and enter a, a set of predictions once they are open. Make sure you get them in by the time Q1 starts because that's when it closes. That is all I have to say there, other than fantasy details are also available on said website. Yes. com. Let's close this monster of an episode with a little <laughs> bit of inbox. Keep me saying now. Stay out. Um, there's there's two here that I think are probably best done together. Do you want to run through both of yeah, them? Yeah, we'll sort of them? couple these together because they're along similar lines. Uh, Clarence90 says, Hey man, we've seen several isolated cases this season where a driver leaves the track or forces another off the track and gains the advantage. Hmm. I wonder why this question has come up. Um, <laughs> the five-second penalty is then just absorbed in the driver's lead. Do you think it will be possible to penalise this differently? E.g. five seconds for the offence, forcing a driver off, plus five seconds for not giving the place back. Secondly, is there a risk that this behaviour could become normalised as the risk and reward currently favours taking the penalty? And then Darth Kilowog uh, adds, taking a step further, why not simply penalise finishing place? I bet you see a very different response if the penalty cannot be recovered. Um, I mean, I would argue that that behaviour kind of already is becoming normalised. Like, As those watching on YouTube will have seen, I was... Very much along. nodding to that <laughs> statement uh, because I think it already is being normalised. Um, from, like I said, the fact that the the two the two examples there may be more. Like I've, I'm sure I'm Clarence, Clarence, Clarence is saying several, and to me, several is more than three. <laughs> Sing, single, couple, few, several. <laughs> so <laughs> there's at least four in Clarence's view, in my opinion. There. But um, yeah, on a serious note, we've already seen two that I've called on this episode, which is what happened this weekend in Vegas and uh, what happened a few weeks back in Cota. So I feel in like Texas. there was maybe one in Austria as well, if I remember rightly. Maybe so. 
So yeah, I think whether it's like this, you're gonna get that. Um, I think there's. I don't know if Darth Kilowog's exact suggestion is the solution of saying that if it happens, you just knock down the finishing order by one. Um, because I mean. It depends on who that benefit. The thing is, like that might benefit the wrong person. Essentially, like I yeah, that. So, let's say Leclerc eventually got back past him anyway, and then he's knocked down a position as well. Then you're sort of giving the advantage to the next top person down that line. Like, so I don't think it's quite the right way to solve it. But I do think that being more direct about it is probably something we need to consider or like i said earlier in the episode just deal with it on the spot like if that like there are enough people there watching the race and enough people within the stewarding team to have somebody focus that intensely for 60 seconds and watch everything that's available on it so that a decision can be made before we practically start another lap you could you could have that decision made i think before you get back to the same corner in the same situation yeah certainly faster than it is right now um and it is easy to forget that these five-second penalties came in because there was, years and years ago, there was lots of talk that the old system of only having stop-goes and drive-throughs was way too harsh and you needed some kind of way yeah. of uh, penalising someone in a smaller way. So I don't dislike the idea of these five-second penalties in general, but I think, yeah, applying them to illegal overtakes like this... Um, like I have seen some people suggesting that in this situation you give a penalty but you say you have to take it within X number of laps. You can't just wait until you would next come into the pits anyway. But is that not then just turning it back into a sort of stop-go penalty anyway? Like, I guess, yes, to some degree, but a stop-go you'd be forbidden from doing any work on the car. At least, if you were saying you've got to serve it within X number of laps, you essentially like having to make hindering the the strategy to some degree as a punishment for that. But does that then maybe push it a bit too far the other way that you've got to yeah. completely change? Like because of that, depending on when it's happening, I mean, it would probably make people less likely to do the things that they're doing currently. And if a genuine like driving error, let's say, like a mistake, leads to that scenario, like catching a bit of a oversteer understeer moment, and that being a consequence of it, they're far more likely to just go have the place back, yeah. Rather than uh, we we need we need to get back in a position where the teams don't immediately see benefit of no, just run with it. Just exactly. Go. That's that's the problem, and maybe it needs to be that. Um, if race direction deem that you've done something wrong, that like I don't know, I'm trying to think of other things we give five second penalties out for, but um, track limits. It, yeah, all right. So yeah, something like that. Deem deem something that you've done wrong that's not impeded another driver. Let's say you can't give a position back, for example. Um, you might have maybe defended and kept a position you shouldn't through track limits, whatever that might be, those are five seconders. And we get to a position where 
maybe the position uh, the punishment is a little more severe for you did something clearly like with the potential to be punished did nothing were given the opportunity to resolve it yourself and did nothing about it we've intervened and said that is a penalty and those ones are like going to 10 or even 15 like something far more significant in terms of the time that is going to make the teams second guess do we want to try and outrun this yeah. penalty basically the punishment always needs has to be a higher to... number yeah it always it's... has to at the very least undo any advantage gained that's yeah. got to be a bare minimum right yeah and that's and the the problem with that is the the further that they let things drag on before making the decision the more of a mess they've got to undo and that that yeah. is the problem in itself that it, ultimately the problem is the decision's not quick enough i think that's unfortunately no matter what you try and do to to change the situation and solve it there's still a problem if the decision's not made within the within the same lap that the incident happened yeah, and i think exactly. that <clears throat> we know what lap one is like that should be the primary focus of any investigation lap yeah, one is totally. is that should be the solid focus and then through the rest of the race it's a little bit easier to pick an incident out in isolation and have a couple of people look at it and, and get it done even quicker so yeah maybe the maybe race control need to step in quicker uh cory killer zombie killer no cory zilla zombie killer i think i said it right a second time anyway cory says uh i've seen a lot of people criticize ferrari for not pitting leclerc during the last safety car but if i recall and i could be completely wrong i heard leclerc uh didn't have new tires to put on uh, was it a Ferrari blunder, or did they make the right decision for once? I don't <laughs> think Ferrari made a mistake this time, is Corey's personal opinion. I'm not certain on whether we had tyres or not. I've seen differing opinions on that. Um, the problem is, and it goes back to the very top of the show, with signs not being part of this fight, if Leclerc had pitted, I doubt both Red Bulls would have. Um, which, however you look at it, is going to leave, leave Leclerc needing to pass at least one, possibly two Red Bulls on track to win the race, which is no guarantee. So, unfortunately for Ferrari and for him, I think this was just one of those situations where sometimes being the leader isn't the most advantageous place to be, especially around safety car situations. Um I kind of think they were damned if they didn't, damned if they didn't, to be completely honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I'm probably leaning towards Corey's opinion on this, where I think they probably did the best they could with the situation they were in, especially if the tyres they would have had to put on were used tyres. Um, but even if that wasn't a factor, I think the way that the, the race panned out, I think that they'd have probably still struggled a little bit to fight Verstappen, um, especially because they'd have lost a little... I, I don't know. I, I can't remember exactly where they'd have come out if they'd have stopped under the safety car. Mm. I can't remember if they were clear enough that they wouldn't have had to fight back through anyone or not. And I think that's also an important factor to play out. It's easy to say, well, the, the, the loss is less by going into the pits behind a safety car, but that doesn't necessarily mean you won't come out behind people that you were previously in front of um yeah because not everybody pits under the safety car in all in all scenarios so there is a 
without going back and reviewing that, I don't want to say that Ferrari blundered this. I would probably prefer to say that I think in that moment, Ferrari made the right decision for them and it ultimately got them back past Perez um, in that fight overall. Because don't forget at that point in the race, Perez was leading because he was off sequence with yeah. the pit stop. So, yeah, I think I think they were just very unlucky with the timing of it ultimately. Yeah. It's a shame so. I'd love to have seen Leclerc win that race and I think he deserved it, but... Yeah, a very solid drive. A very solid yeah. drive nonetheless. And that wraps us up for this week. So thank you to everyone who has joined us, especially those joining us live in Discord. Uh, if you want to find out more about that, head to patreon.com forward slash back of the grid. And there's information on how to get involved with that and the other things that we do. Uh, if you enjoy the show in general and just want to give us a follow in places, then obviously you can subscribe here on YouTube if that's where you're watching. Hit the follows and stuff on all your podcast players and get involved on social media at uh, I keep wanting to call it Twitter. It's now X. I'll, I'll never get that right. I don't it's think. It's Twitter. Follow us on that thing that Elon Musk bought. Um, <laughs> follow us on Facebook, that thing that that other guy owns. <laughs> and then, yeah, Instagram. I don't even know if we have a Threads account. We've not gone that far yet, have we? Don't bother with Threads. Account, but I don't think we might even use it. We do don't they? even use it. Yeah, I mean, it's Threads is a weird place, guys. Don't go there. Um, and that is it. That is not the official back of the grid stance on Threads. For that is my own opinion. Please, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, don't have me for that anyway that is it for this week i'm rambling so we will be back next week with a review of the final race of the season please Meaning go enjoy please go enjoy abu dhabi as best you can and we will see you next week to review it all bye everyone bye